0: Welcome, Dendrophile. My name is Tonya Clark from Birmingham Tree People, and today I'm talking to Liam Crowley, who works as an entomologist at the University of Birmingham. Hi, Liam. Can you tell us about insects and trees and woodlands? Insects are
1: very, very abundant, and they're the most abundant group of animals anywhere in a terrestrial environment, and woodlands are no exception. In fact, if anything, there's probably more insects in woodlands there are in other habitats and these insects occupy all roles from right from the the woodland forest floor all the way up into the top of the canopy and there's all different um, areas and, and habitats that they're occupying Very complex food web all through the entire structure of the, of the forest.
0: So that's a lot of insects having an impact on the trees, but are they in some sort of equilibrium?
1: In a, in a natural scenario, it's very much in, in balance. Um, however, depending on how the forest is managed or not managed, and depending on how the, the environment changes, it can perturb this balance. A lot of the time, it will then rebalance itself, but sometimes we can have run away situations where the system goes out of balance, so a good example of that would be perhaps in North America, in in Canada, um, especially uh, Western Canada where you have huge outbreaks of things like mountain pine beetle or forest tent caterpillars, and this is largely due to climate change, um, changing the, the environmental envelope where these insects can survive, so they're spreading into new areas. Some of these species are also introduced by people into new environments and they can spread. And then we can have huge tree mortality where these these insects turn up in places where they went before or insects could perhaps get an advantage that they didn't have before in the environment. So for example, if it became warmer and drier, the trees then be under stress, which they haven't been previously. So then you can tip the balance and suddenly insects are killing trees which wouldn't have previously done
0: and did the woodlands ever grow back after some devastation like that
1: oh yeah absolutely as as with any environment when you have a disturbance uh, and mortality it resets the successional process so you have a habitat which reaches this mature stage of succession with mature trees growing as soon as you remove those trees you've suddenly changed the conditions which would favor other plants So for example, the ground is now has a lot more light, which it might not have had before. So you'll get all other species growing there instead. And at first, this will be bounder species. um, So things like grasses and and forbs. And then eventually you'll get different species of trees coming in. So certain species of tree are adapted to to grow much faster, but uh, are not as good at competing against the slower growing species. So actually in, in some situations, having this mosaic of different forest ages and structures is very, very beneficial for biodiversity. So in this country, for example, if everything was just a mature oak, or if it was just mature conifers all the way, many, many species of tree and plant wouldn't be able to grow, and all the species of insects which are associated with these other species of trees and plants wouldn't have anywhere to live. A good example of that would be butterflies in woodlands say so if you talk to anyone who's just focused on butterfly conservation, one of the first things they'll say in terms of, of woodland management is you want to thin out these compartments to let more light in here because then you'll get the food plants for the butterflies starting to grow and then as soon as you get those you get the butterflies moving in.
0: But that's quite a difficult thing I think for a lot of people to see is trees coming out of a woodland. We, I think we have to always think oh we want more trees not fewer trees. <laughs>
1: it's about striking up this this balance of different habitat types and structures and ages. And, you know, think about species like hawthorn, you know, a very common tree, but you wouldn't necessarily get large numbers of that growing in a, a really dense, mature woodland. Perhaps that would be more of a boundary tree. Uh, things like birch as well. And there's a whole range of species which are only associated with these trees.
0: You need a really mixed habitat, don't you, for... A large variety yeah. of insects to be able to grow and flourish.
1: That's right, and also you know, it's not just about having variety for variety's sake. There's lots of ecosystem services that we can get from these insects. So going back to the the hawthorn example, it's an absolutely fantastic tree for pollinators. Things like bees and hoverflies, uh, other species of flies, even even butterflies and and moths, and these pollinators during the spring when the tree is in blossom um, it's probably the biggest source
0: I always think of insects in terms of trees, I hear the negative stories is it emerald ash borer and the various insects that are on horse chestnuts and oak processionary moth, you hear a lot of the negative side, but obviously yeah. it's they're mainly a positive influence aren't they
1: So I, I think this is because the number of species which have a, a negative impact on trees is, is very small. And if we compare that to the number of species that we would find in a woodland, it's it's a tiny, tiny little fraction. However, the impact that some of these species can have is disproportionate. And So, yeah, um, like, like the species you said, these are kind of um, forestry pests. And the only reason that they're a problem for, for us now is because generally humans have managed... Uh, trees in, in a such a way where we have monocultures of, of species. And when you when you remove everything else and you just have a monoculture of species, it, it can be really good for producing large, uh, high-quality amounts of timber. But suddenly, um, you've made that more vulnerable because you've taken out that complexity from, from the system. We call this the resilience of, of the habitat. So if it's less resilient, then you can have species moving and become a pest when naturally they would exist at a much lower level, a much um, smaller population, so they wouldn't build up to levels which are a problem. Um, and then the other thing with, with why some insects can become a problem is because they're not native. So you, you introduce uh, an emerald ash borer is a, a good example of that. Uh, you introduce some of these, these um, species to, to areas where they're not a native, and the plants there don't have any evolved resistance because they've not evolved alongside these pests, so they haven't evolved the ability to deal with it. So you have a very vulnerable population which is suddenly exposed to a a new stressor, a new pressure, and it it can't cope, and then you can get problems. So actually, most of the time, these these issues are directly caused by humans or indirectly by humans through, through climate change.
0: You and you are talking about um, trees having resistance towards insects. In what ways are they resistant to insects?
1: So you have um, a a kind of large scale. You'd have a a more natural distribution of trees in in mixed environments where you have lots of different species. And actually just having that mix of different species, it's a much lower density of of species. You also have the individual trees resistant to to pests and diseases and this is something where at a natural level they they could be populations which could have differences in their their genetics which allow them to be better able to defend themselves or you can also just have this lower exposure in the first place meaning that if you know a few trees are are taken out it's not a, a big problem for the population level they're not spreading to enough it's a it's a bit like um passing on a, a virus you know if, if, if the, the number that you pass on to is is low enough then it's not a problem for the population
0: are there chemicals in the leaves that would put, yeah. put off an insect from eating it say
1: absolutely yeah so um insect well all plants but trees and their insect herbivores have evolved together and it's a bit of a, an evolutionary arms race so, the insects want to eat the trees, and, and the trees don't want to be eaten. So, there are lots of different ways that the trees defend themselves. They're not passive actors in this. And one of the most effective things they do is they produce chemicals, which we are known as secondary metabolic compounds. So, they're not. the oak leaves are full of tannins and other compounds, so they're not very nutritious. So what the moth does is it's timed its emergence when it hatches from its eggs to be very, very closely linked to when the oak buds burst. And when you have these very young leaves, they haven't built up much of a high concentration of these defensive compounds. So then the insect is able to, to take advantage of this and feed and grow before it builds up the compounds. And then by the time the compounds have built up, it's already finished its, its larval life cycle and it's pupating. I mean, and then you can add on to that a whole <laughs> other layer where you have things like um, blue tits and gray tits, which time their, uh, time their breeding.
0: Insects and in the trees usually live in a balanced ecosystem um, until humans get involved. You mentioned climate change and globalisation as human-caused negative impacts on this ecosystem. So what can we do to stop ecosystems getting out of balance?
1: Well, I actually I like to be quite positive And I think actually trees are really good at looking after themselves. You know, they're not as, as, as passive as sometimes we dismiss them to be it's just about giving them the opportunity personally i think and then if you support the habitat and you you know support the tree then you've supported all the insects which rely on that tree so you don't have to directly look at the insects you just look after the habitat and it looks after itself so things we can do i think it's about and it's something you hear quite a lot but planting the right tree in the right place so not having these monocultures of 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 particular trees, um, but just giving the chance for natural processes. Nature is really, nature's really good at, at regulating itself. So things like succession, like letting an area scrub over and then they go through the process with different species coming in, blocking out the light and then growing taller and then you're moving from, from your, your short-lived, fast-growing species into your, your slower-growing, long-lived species. And then Throughout that entire period of, of succession, you have all different species of associated insect coming in, and then you get all the benefits from having that insect diversity there. Um, also, by letting it kind of manage itself, you, you I think you also find there's evidence this will be a more resilient system.
0: So we've just got to not use pesticides and let woodlands and insects sort themselves out.
1: Yeah, so pesticides is uh, an interesting one they're not inherently in themselves evil. I mean, pesticides are poisons, right? They're things we deliberately use to control populations. And in some situations, if there's something that we, we really need, so if it is about getting a certain quant- uh, quantity of yield or about growing crops, then there is a justification for using pesticides. What, unfortunately, has uh, is not as widespread an acknowledged idea as it should be, perhaps, is the idea of, what happened, has happened in, in agriculture and silviculture is the idea of this kind of prophylactic application of pesticides just in case. And this is not, I, I would suggest, a good idea, but actually we need to think about the biology of the organisms that we're trying to control. And if you apply the pesticide at the right time in the right amount, then it's far more effective than, and cheaper than, than applying more than you need, longer than you need. So just by knowing the biology of the the pest, so when it emerges from its egg and when it's going to be at most damaging population levels for the plant, then you can be very targeted in your approach and end up actually using less and protecting the system better. Um, And then, of course, in in things like gardens and most situations like that, there's absolutely no need to use pesticides. Why not just enjoy what's there? And Sometimes I think people have this kind of desire to control everything rather than just letting the the natural processes take hold and, and look after themselves.
0: Yes you're right we do try and do that don't we? I think for a lot of people insects aren't, aren't seen as a particularly positive thing but I think having talked to you we've got to really respect their role in the whole woodland and appreciate all the positive things that they are they're doing unseen most of the time.
1: Absolutely it's uh, EO Wilson is a famous entomologist and he he coined the term insects are the little things that run the world. And it's it's fun because, you know, if if they weren't there in the woodland, then none of these ecological processes would work and the whole thing would collapse, whether it's, you know, detritivores recycling nutrients back into the soil or predatory insects controlling populations of pests or pollinators allowing seeds to be produced you take any of these away and, and suddenly the whole system gets weaker and, and starts to collapse.
0: So anybody who's interested in trees needs to start getting interested in insects as well don't they?
1: Absolutely yes and uh, quite often it starts off with what what is this insect which is eating eating all the leaves or, or what's this insect that's emerging out of, out of the bark then very quickly uh, you'll start to see a myriad of uh, species associated with the tree and all all fascinating you know there's, there's tiny little beetles which live only in saprons on oak trees and particular species of hoverfly which only lay their eggs on the saprons of oak trees there's leaf miners tiny little caterpillars and moths that live inside a leaf and feed away and leave a little feeding trace on the leaf like a squiggly line and then there's species of parasitic wasps which only lay their eggs inside a particular species of leaf miner so they have to search around the leaves and then stick their egg through the leaf into the poor little caterpillar inside.
0: And the oak trees survive because they've evolved with the leaf miner and the parasitic wasp and I suppose they have a second flush of leaves in the summer which must help as well. Liam, thank you so much. That was fascinating. It's opened my eyes to how important insects are in our woodlands. More information from Liam on his podcast, which is at www.entocast.com. Thank you very much, Liam. And now for a short piece on one of our favourite native trees. The tree I'm in love with today is the lime or linden tree. This is such a common street tree that you probably walk past one most days. There are over 30 species of lime in the family Ah, Like a lot of these Latin family names there is an extravagance of vowels so please excuse my poor pronunciation. I prefer a word like abstemiously as it has just the right number of vowels and all in the right order. Anyway, there are three species of lime that are native to the UK. These are the broad-leaved lime, Tilia platyphyllos, the small-leaved lime, Tilia cordata, and a hybrid of these two, the common lime, Tilia cross Europeae. The common lime has been planted as a street tree since the 17th century for a number of reasons. It's cheap to propagate, it's a vigorous grower, It doesn't mind annual pruning. The small leaved lime was planted in villages as it was considered a holy tree which kept evil away. It's a good looking tree that can reach 90 feet tall with a girth of up to 27 feet and can live for 500 years. There are many old limes in Germany and the Netherlands. The leaves of the lime are a fresh green and heart-shaped, they have saw-like teeth on the edges. The young twigs are slightly red. It has sweet smelling creamy yellow flowers in bunches of four to 10 at the end of a bract with their wing halfway down its length. This helps to disperse the seeds when they've ripened. Lime seeds don't tend to ripen in this country, but this may change as with the climate crisis, we're getting hotter summers. A tea made from lime flowers is very calming and honey from bees feeding on the flowers is delicious. Browsing animals find the leaves and shoots of the lime very tasty too. The timber from the limes is soft and fine textured and it's used to make musical instruments, piano keys and soundboards, as it doesn't warp. It was used to great effect by the 17th century woodcarver Grinling Gibbons. He created large intricate carvings of fruit, leaves and musical instruments out of limewood. Limes are almost indestructible. They can be infested with tiny nail gall mites, which cause the tree to make red or white galls on their leaves, but they don't seem to do the tree any harm. They can even be hacked into pleached limes. This is like a slim hedge about four feet up the trunk of a row of limes. The name linden comes from the Germanic word linde, meaning pliant, and they certainly live up to this name. So does this paragon of trees have any faults? Well, not faults as such, but there are three things that can cause problems. The first is the epicormic growth around the base of the trunk. This particularly happens to street trees that are being pruned a lot. The growth itself is not a problem, but it can take up a lot of the pavement and it costs money to pay the people to remove it. The second is the honeydew that drops from the trees. Again, it's not a problem unless you have something underneath the tree that you want to keep clean. This is because a black mold fungus grows on the honeydew. The tree doesn't produce the honeydew. It comes from the aphids that are farmed by the ants on the leaves. If you want to stop the black mold, you need to stop the ants. The final problem isn't widespread, and I think it's the saddest. There is a species of lime, the silver leafed lime, Tilia tomentosa, which is sometimes found in cemeteries and arboretum. In London Road Cemetery in Coventry, there are double rows of these limes that had their trunks cut at about eight feet, and the resulting branches trained into branching candlesticks. The effect of these silver leaves covering these candelabras fluttering in the wind is magical. However, there's a sting in the tail as the nectar from these limes is intoxicating to bees but they lack the enzymes to digest it and so it sits in their stomachs. They feed more and more and yet die of starvation. Let's end on a happier note and remember the sweet smell of the flowers and the fresh green foliage of this long-lived compliant tree.